Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. This message comes from BOF sponsor eBay. You'll know real when you get it. It'll say eBay Authenticity Guarantee, and you'll feel it. Maybe it's a head-turning handbag, a watch that says it all, jewellery that makes you feel like the gem, or sneakers and streetwear so fresh every step feels fly. When it comes to style and luxury, eBay gets it. They're making sure the things you love are checked by experts, and not just any experts, specialised experts. Real people who love this stuff with real, hands-on authentication experience. So when you see that shiny blue check mark that says Authenticity Guarantee, shop with confidence. Every inch, stitch, sole and logo is verified authentic through a detailed inspection. That's how you know that eBay's got your back. Because when you finally step into those sneakers, put on that watch, get your real gold glow up, swing that handbag over your shoulder or step out in that streetwear, you'll realize that feeling is unlike any other. With eBay Authenticity Guarantee, you can trust that feeling of real is always in reach. Ensure your next purchase is the real deal. Visit ebay.com for terms. You know that's the sound of another sale on your online Shopify store. But did you know Shopify powers selling in person too? That's right. Shopify is the sound of selling everywhere. Online, in-store, on social media, and beyond. Shopify POS is your command center for your retail store. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify has everything you need to sell in person. With Shopify, you get a powerhouse selling partner that effortlessly unites your in-person and online sales into one source of truth. Track every sale across your business in one place and know exactly what's in stock. Shopify helps you drive store traffic with plug-and-play tools built for marketing campaigns from TikTok to Instagram and beyond. Plus, Shopify's award-winning 24-7 help is there to support your success every step of the way. Do retail right with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash BOF, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash BOF to take your retail business to the next level today. Shopify.com slash BOF. Hi, I'm Imran Ahmed, founder and CEO of The Business of Fashion, and welcome to the BOF podcast. Voices is the most stimulating gathering of fashion industry leaders on the planet. 
What makes Voices different is that we mix our industry with fascinating people from other sectors, from the worlds of economics, activism, health and wellness, medicine, film, philanthropy, technology, media, and so many more. Fashion doesn't live in a bubble, and nor should it. This is one of the sessions from our 2017 gathering. On this episode of the BOF podcast, we're going to explore the ideas of gender. It's been one of the hot spots, hot button topics of, of 2017, and we thought it was really important to explore this in more detail. So to do this, I invited my sister, Dr. Shazan Ahmed, who gave an inspiring and educational talk on how gender really works from a scientific perspective. And that was followed by a discussion with Leith Ashley, Hannah Gabi Odieli, and Philip Picardi, each of whom have their own personal stories to tell when it comes to gender. It was definitely one of the moments that most people won't forget at Voices 2017 and a really, really fascinating educational conversation. Just a quick note, this conversation was recorded live in front of an audience, so please excuse any audio issues. So how many of you are parents in this room? Many parents. How many of you have a boy? A girl? Okay. So imagine being parents, expecting the birth of your first child. And your baby is born, and the doctor says, your baby is healthy, has a loud cry, a good heartbeat. But at this moment, we can't tell you whether your baby is a boy or a girl. Now imagine being the parent of a young teen you've raised as a girl who is experiencing significant distress to the point of being suicidal, because inside, she feels like a he. Menstruating for this teenager causes her to spin out of control, disconnect, and fall into a deep depression. These are real stories about real patients. As a pediatric endocrinologist, I encounter these medical scenarios often. Every year, roughly one in 2,000 babies are born where they, where they look neither male nor female. Over the last decade, in the United States, the number of transgendered individuals has doubled. So today, what is gender? What have we learned from science and medicine? And how is the construct of gender changing in our society? So let's go back to our high school biology class. Genetic sex, XX equals female and XY equals male, is what guides a fetus in developing either male or female organs ovaries or testes. Biological sex is how we look on the outside. A when a baby is born, they're assigned a sex of rearing. A vagina means a girl, and a penis and testes is a boy. Let me tell you a story about a patient who I'm going to refer to as Baby M. Baby M was born a girl, according to the doctors. A few days after the birth, after the parents had told their family and friends about their new baby girl, the doctor felt a testicle. And on closer examination, noticed the baby's genitalia didn't look entirely female. And that's when he called me. Baby M was transferred to the children's hospital that I work at. 
And two weeks later, after consultation with a team of doctors, baby M was sent home as a boy. Babies are sometimes born with genitalia that look neither male nor female, but somewhere in between. Some babies are born where their genetic sex doesn't match how they look on the outside. For example, a baby who's XY, genetically male, but looks female on the outside. These medical conditions are known as intersex, but now sometimes referred to as disorders or differences in sexual development, or DSD. So then what is gender identity? Gender identity is our inner self of feeling male or female. Often, your genetic sex aligns with your biological sex, which aligns with your gender identity. I am XX, I look physically female, you'll have to trust me, and I identify as a female. Transgender is when someone identifies as a gender that is different from the gender that was assigned to them at birth. So a physically-looking female who was raised as a female but who identifies as a male is a transgendered male or trans male. A physically-looking male who was raised as a male but identifies as a female is a transgendered female or trans female. But let's not confuse gender identity with gender expression. Gender expression is how we demonstrate our gender through how we act, dress, and interact based on how society defines gender. Society has gender stereotypes that define masculine and feminine behavior. Boys play with cars and girls play with dolls. Men wear trousers and women wear dresses. But a boy who wants to play with dolls and wear dresses and watch TV shows about fairies, I've just described my four-year-old son, is not necessarily transgendered, but has gender expression that is more female based on societal definitions. A woman who wears a suit and tie to work and has short hair is not necessarily transgendered, but has more masculine gender expression, again, based on societal definitions. Now, here's where it gets complex. All of these constructs of gender occur on a continuum. So, I told you that biological sex, sometimes babies are born where they don't look either male or female, and that's what we call intersex. Some people do not identify as either male or female, and these people are non-binary and often prefer pronouns such as they or them rather than he or she. And some people's gender expression is neither feminine nor masculine, and they are androgynous. Now, some people move along these gender identity and gender expression continua, sometimes identifying or expressing themselves as male, and other times as female. And these people are gender fluid. So now we're done high school biology. The next question is, how is gender identity developed? Well, before the 1980s, the belief was that it was nurture. You take a child, you put a dress on that child, 
you give that child girl toys, and you enroll them in girl activities, and that child will identify as a girl. But this theory was debunked in the 1980s by the real-life story of identical baby boys who were born in the Canadian city of Winnipeg, where I actually did my residency. One of the baby boys during a medical procedure called a circumcision had his penis cauterized off. The parents were devastated. They had a baby boy with no penis, and they didn't know what to do. They sought the advice of Dr. John Money, who was a psychologist at John Hopkins University, who believed that it's nurture, not nature. So he advised that they raise their injured baby boy as a girl. They renamed her Brenda. They put her in girl clothes. They gave her girl toys, and they went as far as having her testicles removed as a young baby. Now this was the perfect natural experiment for Dr. Money. He has two. Genetically identical babies. They're both XY. They're both born with male genitalia, but now one is being raised or nurtured as a girl, and the other as a boy. He reported on this experiment to the scientific community for years, saying the experiment is working. Brenda identifies as a girl, but he wasn't telling the whole truth. One day, Brenda went to see her endocrinologist, where she was getting estrogen to feminize her body during puberty, and she said, "I am not a girl. I don't feel like a girl. Something is wrong with me." A journalist by the name of John Colapinto tells this heartbreaking story in a book called *As Nature Made Him*. Brenda became David. Transition from receiving estrogen to receiving testosterone, and lived the rest of his life as a male. Here's pictures of、uh, David when he first came out as male, and at his wedding. Sadly, soon after that wedding, he committed suicide, because that experience, his story, being raised a gender he did not identify with, was devastating for him. But the experience of, one, of this one child changed how we think about gender identity. It's not a simple psychosocial construct of nurture, but rather it's the complex interplay of environmental, biological, hormonal, and even cultural factors. With advances in science and medicine, we still don't have all the answers. So let's go back to baby M. Why was BBM sent home, a boy? When a baby is born with an intersex condition, a team of doctors, endocrinologists, surgeons, geneticists are tasked with figuring out why this baby has ambiguous genitalia, and to assign a male or female sex of rearing. This is based on multiple factors: anatomy, both on the outside and the inside, the hormone profile of that baby. Surgical options, as well as the future fertility of that child and sexual function. Before Dr. Money's experiment, we may have assigned baby M as female, but today we know better. But these cases continue to be the most challenging cases in my practice, the ones that I lose sleep over. The ones where I ask the question: Did we make the right decision? 
I saw BBM in my clinic just two weeks ago. He's seven years old. And I asked his mom, does he ever question the way he feels, his identity? And she said, absolutely not. He is all boy. But we don't always get it right. And we are making decisions about these babies before they have their own voice. Many of them are subjected to irreversible genital correction surgeries in infancy. The question that plagues us is, should we wait until they themselves can decide? Should we wait to assign gender and do the surgeries? But can we raise a child who is neither male nor female in our society? Well, maybe today we can. Because recently, transgendered and intersex youth and adults are telling their stories, they're sharing their perspectives, their challenges. Transgendered and intersex models are not new to fashion. They have been walking the runways for years. The difference is, today, they're telling their stories. They're educating the public, promoting awareness and tolerance. Now is the time that all segments of society need to join the gender revolution. Transformational change happens when we work together. In my daughter's private school, they just implemented a uniform policy that any child, no matter what their gender, can wear pants or a kilt. My daughter chooses to wear pants on most days. How empowering for her to have that choice. The fashion industry is instrumental in providing these choices so that all people, no matter where they identify on that gender continuum, can authentically express themselves through the clothes that they wear. Fashion, however, continues to be marketed based on that binary male and female gender stereotype. But there's an emerging revolution. There's in, people are evolving where they're trying to promote inclusivity and relinquish these gender stereotypes. In 2015, Selfridges launched A-Gender, a unique genderless shopping experience that transcends the notion of he and she. Top man and, uh, top, top and Topshop in Oxford Circus made their fitting rooms gender neutral. ASOS released a unisex collection. And John Lewis announced that their children's collection will no longer be distinguished by gender. And although these initiatives create controversy, they are so important in promoting acceptance and denouncing marginalization. So I encourage all of you to explore your role as a leader in the gender revolution. I challenge you to think beyond the confines of male and female gender stereotypes and open your minds, your hearts, and your businesses to the gender continuum. Thank you very much. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. 
United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. This message comes from BOF sponsor eBay. You'll know real when you get it. It'll say eBay Authenticity Guarantee. And you'll feel it. Maybe it's a head-turning handbag, a watch that says it all, jewellery that makes you feel like the gem, or sneakers and streetwear so fresh every step feels fly. When it comes to style and luxury, eBay gets it. They're making sure the things you love are checked by experts. And not just any experts. Specialised experts. Real people who love this stuff with real hands-on authentication experience. So when you see that shiny blue check mark that says authenticity guarantee, shop with confidence. Every inch, stitch, sole and logo is verified authentic through a detailed inspection. That's how you know that eBay's got your back. Because when you finally step into those sneakers, put on that watch, get your real gold glow up, Swing that handbag over your shoulder or step out in that streetwear, you'll realize that feeling is unlike any other. With eBay Authenticity Guarantee, you can trust that feeling of real is always in reach. Ensure your next purchase is the real deal. Visit ebay.com for terms. Have you ever owned something that inspired you to up your game? For me, I got a chef-grade range recently and now I'm cooking new things every single night. Seriously, no cuisine is off-limits. The point is, when we own exceptional things, they inspire us to do exceptional things. The all-new Lexus GX has an exceptional capability that will have you seeing possibilities you never knew existed. Its advanced technology and luxurious interior mean that wherever you go, you'll never go without. I can picture myself with a car full of groceries, cruising down the highway, soaking up the sun with the available dynamic sky panorama glass roof. Ah, pure bliss. Live up to the all-new Lexus GX. Luxury beyond limits. Experience amazing at your Lexus dealer. <clears throat> She's pretty awesome, right? Yeah. Um, so to go a bit deeper on this issue, I'd like to invite three individuals who have personal, lived experiences in this space that will help us to better understand gender. In January of this year, model Hani Gabi Odielli made the empowering revelation that she was born intersex and has subsequently become a lobbyist for intersex rights around the world. Laith Ashley is a singer, dancer, model and activist who works with organizations like Flux, the trans division of AIDS Healthcare Foundation, to help raise the profile of the trans and gender non-conforming community. 
and Philip Picardi is the chief content officer and founder of the newly launched Them, Condé Nast's new mission-driven multi-platform title devoted to the LGBTQ community. Please welcome our next speakers to the stage. So um, my, my sister kind of laid it all out there in terms of the science. Um, but I don't think this is a matter of only science. I think it's a matter of experiences. And I'm really grateful to all of you for uh, agreeing to sit with us and, and talk a little bit about some of your personal experiences. Um, and I thought I'd start just that way, just to understand a little bit about each of you, the experiences that you've had. Uh, in living and discovering your own identity. So, Laith, why don't we start with you? Let's do it. <laughs> um, so, you're a trans male. Yes. Tell us about the journey to discovering that identity. Um, well, I want to start by saying that I, I'm speaking, what I'm going to tell you is based on my personal experience, and every transgender individual does not experience what I, what I experience. Um, when I was a young child, about four or five, I knew that there was something different about me. Um, I learned what gender was. I'm, 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 I'm a Latin individual. I, I, my family's from the Dominican Republic, so gender and sex is something that's, it was very obvious to me at a very young age because it's, it's the way that we're, we're taught. So for me, I knew I was, I was told I was a girl and I needed to behave as such. And there were certain roles that, were, that came into play from, from at a very young age. And I, know, I remember very distinctly, I felt very uncomfortable with that role that I was assigned. Um, and I knew that I was different and I, I, I was very combative from a very young age. I, I did not want to wear you know, traditional girls' clothing. I did not want to play with the girls. I wanted to run and play baseball and play basketball with, with all my male cousins. And um, that... Was, it was okay for a while until I was, I was bullied um, in my preteens, and that's when um, I told my dad, hey, I, I want to um, change my way of dress. I'm, I'm, I'm going to wear traditional girls' clothing um, and try to fit in in that way. And it was, it was like pr it was pretending. I was pretending for a very long time. So you relate to that quote on the cover of that National Geographic? Oh, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. So at which point in your journey did you decide that you wanted to make the transition? Right. And if you can tell us a little bit about that transition and, and why and how you did it. Right. So I, um, I studied psychology in, in college. I went to Fairfield University. Um, I remember at 19, my sophomore year, I was just fooling around online. I came across some videos of um, some trans people documenting their transitions on YouTube, and I had like an awakening. I'm like, oh my God, this is me, this is who I am. Because um, for a long time I was told that I was um, a lesbian. I was a butch lesbian or a, a lesbian that was masculine of center with masculine expression. Um, but I, knew, I didn't necessarily identify with that either. Um, so I had a tough time trying to find like who, who, who I was. Um, so I was very depressed. Um, I kept it to myself because I didn't think that anyone would understand. I also come from a very religious background. My mother is, is Pentecostal Christian. My dad's side is, is Catholic. Um, in my mind, 
transitioning then at 19, um, when, I was, when I thought about starting a medical transition, it was a one-way ticket to hell. So I said no, and my, I like, repented. I accepted Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. Like, I, I would do that, and I, I told myself, no, I'm just going to be celibate, and I'm going to be um, to myself for the rest of my life. And, and it, was, it was very sad. And it wasn't until I graduated, after I graduated and I started working um, at an LGBT community health center where I realized you know, I needed to live for myself and I needed to kind of put my foot down. And I, I saw other LGBTQ people living their lives normally and going to work, and I saw that it was okay. And um, at 23, I told my mom that I was going to begin my, my medical transition, and at 24, I, I started. And what can you tell us about that transition? Because many people in the room will have never experienced or understood that or heard about it before. Right. So, I, like I said, transitioning, a medical transition is different for everyone. Um, for me, um, I started uh, hormone replacement therapy. I started testosterone at 24, going on 25. And I, it's essentially a second puberty. I went through a, what would be considered a male puberty, a deepening of my voice, um, changing of like, the way the fat is distributed in my body, um, facial hair, body hair and um, appearing more masculine, more male, had a more, having a more male appearance. And how did you feel afterwards? With every change that, that happened, I felt more whole and more complete. I was ecstatic. I, I tracked my voice change every two weeks. Yeah. All right. Okay, Hannah, why don't, why don't we move on to you? So, Hannah, you're intersex. Mm -hmm. Can you tell us about your journey of learning about your intersex? Um, well, it was kind of caught really early on. Um, so I had some small uh, medical problem as a child. I had nothing to do with being intersex, but uh, my blood was taken. And the results came back, and uh, they were like, oh, your son is going to be okay. Just need some uh, antibiotics. And our parent, my parents were like, our son, uh, that doesn't make any sense. We have to do it again. And... Um, uh, so it, it seemed, so they found out, actually the doctors found out pretty early on that I was intersex. What I have is called androgen insensitivity syndrome, which means I'm born with XY chromosomes, uh, but uh, from the outside, I look female. From the inside, I'm actually male. My, my, uh, I have XY chromosomes, and I was born with internal testes. Um, so something... Uh, in, back in the 90s, 80s, but they still do this today. Uh, um, they take out testes straight, like, as soon as possible. Uh, and with how that, old were you when that happened? For me, I was nine years old when that happened. Um, but that, when that comes, uh, I have to be also on hormonal replacement therapy for the rest of my life. Um, there's um, tons of complications that com come with that, too, like early menopause, um, um, uh, osteoporosis in like 13-year-olds. Um, so it's something that used to be done like all the time to intersex people. Um, so that happened, but what, what, it was never told to me. Never really so they explained never to you. my parents really what it was. They just kind of dismissed it and always told, don't tell anything, just keep it to yourself. It's better that way so she won't get bullied, she won't be um, having uh, gender dysphoria. Uh, so it was always hidden from me until um, I found out, uh, I read a, a teenage article, an article in a teenage magazine about a girl who, who couldn't have a period. 
um, and she couldn't have babies, and she had a few surgeries. I knew uh, from when I was uh, 13 or something that I couldn't have babies. That was told to me uh, pretty young age. Um, so I found, uh, I read this article, and I had to happen to go to the, my doctor the week after, so I sh brought the article, and then the doctor was like, yeah, finally you find out. <laughs> Um, that was when I was 17, actually, uh, when I went, went, uh, and two months after I'm here, uh, I was in New York on the runway. I kind of gained confidence from finding really out what was happening to me. I found also a support group and a community that I could finally, I'm not alone, because it was always told you're the only one, uh, no one's gonna, no one's just, no one's like you. And this is still happening today, people are still told that this is something that it, you only, it's only you, and nobody will understand. Yeah. Last night at dinner, um, when we were talking, you talked about triggers. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I have kind of PTSD from doctors, um, just because of the way I was treated, and it's very invasive like, on, your, on, your, uh, on your organs. Like, they are from, young, from a young age, I've been probed and poked, and uh, never taught really why. So that was very difficult. Yeah. And just before we move on to Philip, you know, wh why did you decide to talk about your your identity this year? Like, what was it? What was it that made you feel that now was the moment? Because probably for many people in the industry, they had no idea. I think I'm finally ready. <laughs> first, um, and secondly, I also feel like there's a, a lot, lot of stuff happening about gender right now. But I feel intersex has never really been. Um, discussed in the pop, pop culture or anything. So I feel, I also feel like intersex kind of proves in a way that um, gender as we know it isn't really as what it seems. I kind of feel like it needs to be included in this discussion because it's kind of basic, bio it's like biology, like you can see, you know, like it makes sense. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So Philip, um, you know, you've built a, a reputation in the industry for helping to bring some of these stories um, into the mainstream conversation. But can you talk a little bit about your own journey of, of, of your identity and then how you've kind of taken up this mantle to help some of these stories come, come out more into the mainstream? Sure. I mean, I was always an extremely feminine child. I used to, uh, I actually didn't smile for three years of elementary school because I wanted to be just like Victoria Beckham. Um, <laughs> And so, um, so when I came, I decided to come out of the closet when I was 14 years old, and I was just kind of assuming my parents more or less knew that I was gay. Um, and basically, you know, I'm from a very Italian Catholic family, and so they, they freaked out. You know, my dad started taking me to church every weekend, telling me I couldn't get married. They sent me to a Catholic therapist, and I was like, bitch, what? You know, when I showed up. <laughs> And then um, my mom, you know, was just horrified because she wanted grandchildren, but she has four other straight kids who are all reproducing. So anyways, it was kind of a mess, but I started, um, that was when I, I first like went to the bookstore to find resources because you can't, you, I couldn't see myself anywhere, right? 
And so I was 14, and now 14 is the median age of coming out for most adolescents, which is incredible, but I was the only kid in any of my classrooms or any spaces that I was in or in my family who was openly identifying as gay. So I, I felt very alone. So I happened to go to Borders, and I went to a self-help aisle, which was a terrible mistake. There's nothing good there for queer people at that time. And so I went to the magazine rack, right? And that is where I found myself, right? I picked up a copy of Out, and then I picked up a copy of Details, which I thought was for gay guys, but actually it wasn't, I guess. <laughs> and then um, I picked up Vogue. And um, it was honestly, I don't even remember reading out or details that month. I remember reading Vogue and thinking, there, uh, this has nothing to do with being gay, but there's something here that is telling me I'm being seen. And so I became a loyal reader of Vogue. And I remember, you know, being a teenager, having no one to talk to, feeling like my family was ashamed of me, you know, feeling very alone as a, as a young kid. And I remember reading an editor's letter. I didn't know who Anna Wintour was. And I remember in her editor's letter, she was calling for fashion to stand behind marriage equality. And I remember reading that and saying, I feel worthy because this woman wrote that in her and she took the time and the space to stand for me. And so I decided I was gonna work in fashion after that. I was probably wearing like an Abercrombie and Fitch muscle t-shirt at the time, <laughs> but I was like prepared to work in fashion. And so I, I ended up moving to New York. I set my sights on NYU when I was 15 and I got into NYU and I, and I went right to Teen Vogue and I got an internship as soon as I could. And, um, and Teen Vogue is really where I built my career. And so Amy Astley was the editor-in-chief of Teen Vogue and I, and I quit my job as an assistant beauty editor to go to Refinery29. And I quit and she was like, I'll give you six months, so ha go have fun. And that's like the most Condé Nast thing someone could ever say to you when you quit, you know? And sure enough, six months later, she called me back and asked me to be the editorial director of Teen Vogue. That was when Teen Vogue, uh, you know, when I decided to launch a politics section at Teen Vogue, I decided to launch the brand's first ever sexual health content. Reproductive justice became a pillar of our, of our content. And, you know, before we knew it, we had Lauren Duca appearing on Fox News and sparring with Tucker Carlson, a conservative um, talk show host there. Um, and Teen Vogue really became this kind of symbol of the resistance, you know, whatever, whatever that means. We've published things like the Guide to Anal Sex, which I thought was important, that we were uh, creating queer, inclusive sexual health content for youth, right? because more and more youth are queer than ever before and are identifying as such. Um, and so Teen Vogue became this resource, and, and so that has been a really rewarding experience. You know, Teen Vogue, aside from queerness, has also covered things like we invited six Native American girls to flip over a Thanksgiving dinner table and talk about the genocidal history of that holiday. You know, we, when Donald Trump was talking about the Muslim ban, we like had a whole photo shoot with Muslim teenagers who were talking about why they're proud to wear the hijab and why they're proud to be Muslim women. Um, and that was the, the pinnacle of Teen Vogue's success. We went from two million unique visitors and kind of being this like problem child of, of my company to 12 and a half million unique visitors and having some of the highest traffic after the election next to Vanity Fair and The New Yorker. Mm -hmm. And so that was amazing. And so really, you know, at the top of this year, Anna just kind of asked like, what do you want, what do you want next? And, and what would you do if you could do anything? And I, and I just kind of said, you know, it'd be great to have a special space for queer people that was dedicated to and for and by this community because I feel like it's more urgent now that Trump is president than ever before. And there are a lot of issues in our own community that we need to address, right? We constantly overlook intersex people, as Hannah will tell you. We are not telling all of the right trans stories, as Leith will tell you, or telling them in a way that is done by trans people, right? So I wanted to create this for queer people. And Anna called me the next morning and was like, I got your approval, so can you get a business plan together in two weeks? And so um, really from there, um, two months later, we lit up the World Trade Center in rainbow colors, um, and we celebrated the launch of them, which is Conde Nast's first ever LGBTQ platform. Congratulations. That's Thank nice. you.
What's interesting in each of your stories, and I, I promise you this part wasn't planned, is that um, media played a very, very important role in your discovering your own identities. You know, for Hannah, it was a magazine. For Laith, it was a YouTube video. And for Philip, it was Vogue. Um, there has been some criticism about this idea of launching a magazine or you know, media company or media brand, rather, that's separate, right? Using the word them. Can you talk a little bit about how you respond to that criticism that makes the queer community feel like an other community? Well, first of all, I love a controversy. So that's first and foremost. I love drama. I live for drama. Um, but um, I think more importantly, ha has anyone seen the film Call Me By Your Name? Yeah. Great. OK. So listen, Call Me By Your Name is this um, book that I read from my book club, my gay book club, which is called Read or Be Read. And it is this like really beautiful love story, but also there are all these like really hot sex scenes in this book. Like beautiful, descriptive, and like not raunchy, but just like a really honest portrayal of like two men having a loving and sexual and intimate relationship, right? So this movie comes out and, and Hollywood produces this movie, right? And of course, who do they cast to play the two gay men in the film, but two straight actors. And like last time I checked, Hollywood was full of homosexuals. So I'm not sure who found these boys, but they were the ones who portrayed the gay actors or the gay people in this story, right? And then on top of that, they eliminate most of the sex scenes and any of the intimacy from the film because they wanted it to be palatable to a straight audience, which I find complete and utter bullshit, you know? Right. How dare you, thank you. <laughs> I mean, how dare you tell us that we are not worthy of telling our own love stories? How dare you tell us that the sex that we have is not palatable for a straight audience, right? How dare you cast cisgender actors to portray trans people on screen? Look how that worked out for Jeffrey Tambor and Amazon, you know? So for me, this did not feel like a revolutionary idea. This felt like it was overdue. It was time for queer people to take the mantle at the most legacy an exclusive publishing house in the world with the most influential woman in fashion media to stand behind this brand and say, we deserve this. Right. And furthermore, thank you. <laughs> and furthermore, you know, we have a lot of work to do as a community, right? So not only does them serve to kind of queer the mainstream and help push the other brands that Condé Nast forward and also help be a resource for the other brands and employees at our company. We now have gender neutral restrooms. We have a non-binary um, selection when people apply for jobs at Condé Nast now. Um, but I think that it, it helps to serve this kind of purpose that most queer media services gay men. And so, you know, we have a trans and non-binary staff who's producing this content, which makes it a radically different approach than a lot of other media organizations. So, I'm, you know, I'm really proud of that. I didn't think of them as being a radical name because them is a pronoun and them is representative of, you know, not representing one or the other gender or preferring one over the other. Um, and so this to me felt common sense. And I will say for the audience who it matters to and who it's targeting, um, it is common sense and it's deeply resonating. So we're really proud of it. Okay. We're, we're almost out of time, but before, um, before I conclude, I just, I wanted to go back to each of you one more time. And if there was one lesson, that you could share with um, everyone in the room about something that we should take away about this gender revolution. You know, a, a piece of advice, some insight, um, or just some words of um, 
kind of information. What do you want people to leave with today? I, I would say that everyone, I think we all share uh, you know, some universal truths in common, and that's we're looking to be, we want happiness, uh, we want success, we want love to be reciprocated, um, and we want to be respected as human beings, and that's, that's the ultimate thing. Like today, I'm, I'm wearing this shirt that says, Heart Liberation, and um, even watching the videos earlier today, you know, it broke my heart to see um, the amount of suffering in the world, and, and I think that with kindness and openness and, and the willingness to understand, we can limit suffering in this world, and I think that's, that's a huge takeaway. Yeah. Um, okay, so uh, to be honest, um, being intersex is not a bad, not bad, being bad at all. I just feel like it should be more uh, able to discuss in the media, so it's kind of easier for other people to to come out and just this. It's 1.7 percent of the population that is intersex. Uh, you all know somebody, and maybe they can't really tell you. Uh, and hopefully, by normalizing it, it might become more easy for other people too. I think, <laughs> I think if you're sitting in the audience and you're cisgender, the most important thing for you to know is that it's on us as cisgender people to help advance the equality of trans people. This is um, a community that is massively disenfranchised, um, and it's on us to not just accept cis-passing trans people, but also to help you know, advance the rights of non-binary people and people who are just beginning their journeys of transition. So in your companies, most of you hold esteemed positions and leadership positions at various companies. You need to go and fix the bathroom rules. You need to go and fix your HR rules and talk to your HR presidents and whomever else and your people or culture departments to make sure you're more inclusive of various gender identities and not just the binary, because that change makes people feel more comfortable in their day-to-day -day lives and their jobs, which goes a really long way. Thanks for listening to the Business of Fashion podcast. If you like what you hear, please give us a rating and subscribe today. Don't forget to visit businessoffashion.com to learn more about BOF and everything that we do. Have you ever owned something that inspired you to up your game? For me, I got a chef-grade range recently, and now I'm cooking new things every single night. Seriously, no cuisine is off-limits. The point is, when we own exceptional things, they inspire us to do exceptional things. The all-new Lexus GX has an exceptional capability that will have you seeing possibilities you never knew existed. Its advanced technology and luxurious interior mean that wherever you go, you'll never go without. I can picture myself with a car full of groceries, cruising down the highway, soaking up the sun with the available dynamic sky panorama glass roof. Ah, pure bliss. Live up to the all-new Lexus GX. Luxury beyond limits. Experience amazing at your Lexus dealer. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.